You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at Season 3, Episode 7 of Bugs, entitled Happy Ever After? Episode synopsis. The Bureau of Weapons Technology Staff, minus Roz, have taken the day off from policing weapons, or technology, and are slumming it as security for the daughter of a high-profile government minister. The wedding goes smoothly, but the post-wedding photographs are interrupted when the newlywed bride is kidnapped. Despite being the most obvious co-conspirator in a kidnapping ever, the groom pretends to be frantic about getting his wife back. Even Ed and Beckett notice there's something strange about his behavior. Rather than turning this over to the proper authorities, the Bureau of Weapons Technology staff, minus Ross, undertake to recover the kidnapped victim. The kidnappers have made their demands known. They want the National Water Grid Project, spearheaded by the bride's father, shut down on ecological grounds. The minister points out that the idea of shutting down the project is impossible, and there are no negative ecological impacts, just the occasional financial impact. Those people have been fairly compensated. Nonetheless, the kidnappers' demands have been made. Using some of Roz's techno-wizardry, they track down where the email was sent from. They raid the place but it's a cyber cafe and laser quest establishment. However, using the ubiquity of cameras in the UK surveillance state, they are easily able to locate and trace the criminals to their lair. Ed and Roz, oh, I forgot to mention Roz has shown up taking a break from her deliberations about moving to America with Channing, proceed to their lair and confirm that the kidnapped bride is being held there. Meanwhile, Beckett lets the minister and the groom who fidgets nervously and broods ominously like any proper co-conspirator, know that they've located the missing bride and are about to rescue her. Back at the lair, Roz and Ed are snooping when the baddies receive a mysterious call from someone. I wonder who? Tipping them off that they've been discovered. They escape with the kidnapped victim and shoot Roz in the process. Luckily, it's just a flesh wound, but... She will have to spend some time in the hospital listening to Channing telling her to do what he says and come with him to America. They have learned that the kidnappers are not really in it for eco-terrorism. They're just thugs being paid money. Ed and Alex take a deeper dig into who might be financially impacted by the national water grid. They find one company, Curtis Drilling. Curtis Drilling relies on water scarcity in the south of England. They dig deep bore wells, and the water grid will make their services completely unnecessary. They'll be bankrupt within a year. In a completely suspicious fashion, they're owned by a young Mr. Curtis, a man who never comes into the company and can only be reached by phone on a number that the company manager refuses to give out. Rather than consulting the UK's business and tax records to track down Mr. Curtis, Alex poses as someone from the Treasury and Lee's bait designed to draw Curtis out. When he arrives, Mark, the groom, is Curtis. Gasp, shock, and utter surprise 
are three things that no one watching this program said about that reveal, although Ed and Alex seem a bit taken aback, at least taken aback enough that they fail to capture Curtis. Alex does at least put a tracker on the car, and it leads them to the kidnappers. Ed and Alex stage a rescue and fail, with Ed taken hostage too. With his cover blown and absolutely no way that he or his company can financially survive, Curtis now demands 10 million pounds ransom, or he'll destroy the national water grid. The first step is to kill his co-conspirators. Next, he traps Ed and the bride, who has at this point realized that her husband is a real asshole, at the main intake facility, and plants a stazzy bomb with a remote-controlled timer. That is, a bomb with a timer which resides on the remote control. While Ed and the bride try to escape via the water pipes, Beckett and Alex subdue Curtis, but not before he activates the two-minute bomb timer. Roz has, against Channing's orders, checked herself out of the hospital and helps Beckett defuse the remote control remotely. The day and the national water grid are saved. Also, Roz decides not to go to America with Channing, no doubt setting him on a course of revenge as the season's overarching super baddie. Probably. The end. Yeah, we're still waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I I did, there for a moment, did feel, as I was watching this episode, Channing is a real jerk throughout this. I mean, he is, he is definitely doing everything that should make Roz kick him out. And he succeeded brilliantly at it. But it did have an air of finality to it. It, it, it felt like, well, that's it. We're done. Channing's out of here. This, this subplot has ended. And I go, but the, the, we've had the whole thing about the, the leak and everything. And there really isn't many options here except for, you know, Alex or Channing or Jan, I suppose. But it, <laughs> it, it's, it seems like Chan maybe, you know, now it's spurned. Channing will set on a course to destroy the Bureau of Weapons Technology completely. It's like, I will have my revenge on those people who have stolen Roz, my asset, from me. I don't know. What did you think of the episode? I don't, I don't think that's the last we're going to see of Channing, just because he's gone to, he's gone to the US for um, setting up whatever he's setting up over there. But he's literally, he's, he's left the fire left. burning. Left the fire burning. <laughs> that was, that was particularly. I mean, it, it's in a way, it's not that odd because he's obviously not sold up his house and got rid of all his property and everything, and you know, presumably has staff because I guess he doesn't do all the gardening himself and he's got someone to Fair do enough. the hoovering. So the it it's not like he you know has to go around and check all the windows are shut on his way out, but that's also because presumably. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be hopping back and forth across the Atlantic, but he might come back in a month or so, and presumably he's going to say hi to Roz at that point. And I don't know, it I, it suddenly occurred to me that this whole kind of you-have-to-decide-now thing was just so utterly contrived, and I, I hadn't really thought about it because I was just getting so irritated by every other scene being someone saying to Ross, you're not really leaving, are you? You're not going to go to America and leave us all on our own. Yeah, it was... Yeah, they were they were as bad as Channing, but I, I really... This is the first time Channing didn't come off as... I don't know. He, even though I've harbored the suspicion that he's behind something, he has 
done a good job of not showing that he's evil. But in this one, every time he was telling Roz what she had to do, it was really like, you're either reading this room really wrong, guy, or or the writer of this does not, or the director does not understand subtle and has told you to play it up in the same way that they told the groom to look as suspicious as possible at all times. It does it does present a difficulty in the last couple of episodes have have the we've seen shifts in the way well last episode we talked about the fact that Roz had been written in a very uncharacteristic way. And uh, yeah. I'm not sure that Roz is being written back to normal Roz in this. And although she's obviously a much newer character, Alex has just become incredibly wet by, you know, oh. by the way she's behaving in this episode. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, well, well, yeah, Channing is not behaving in the way that Channing was before. Like it is, as you say, he's almost tone deaf to the mood. But also you don't know whether that is a deliberate writing choice in the sense of we are now seeing the kind of true Channing revealed or whether it is just, we don't know who's written this episode because there's no writing credits on it, but whether it is just whoever the writer is just getting him wrong. It, 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 it's very hard to tell at this stage what the intention is. Isn't that astounding that this show has had so many episodes with no writing credit? Well, it's only, what, four, is it? Okay, now? that's four than I've more than I've ever heard of in the history of television. I mean, I I, well, I, I, the, I don't well, always look, but you know, usually writer is always there. And no, 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 I, I, there, there are, there are, de- I mean, I've talked about other shows where the writer has taken his name off because he's been disgusted by it. But you, I'm sure, are familiar with episodes of Doctor Who where, for contractual reasons, the name of the writer hasn't been able to be used. And so they have, in those instances, put a made-up name on it. In fact, right. I can even think of a big that's finish what I'm Who, where they used a made-up name. Oh, well, I that, think that's is... what I understand. There is a contractual... These are all, I hate to say it, these are all kind of union shops here or guild shops. And I just, you know, well, you that, have to put a well, name on there, even if it's a fake one. That 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 was that was definitely the case, you know, when we're talking about nineteen seventies Doctor Who. I don't think that would be the case. You you've got to bear in mind the extraordinary revolution in British television. Well, I suppose not just British television. It's the it, the the kind of industrial relations in Britain. Really, really, there was a seismic shift under the Thatcher government in the eighties, and in particular. I do think the kind of changes that took place in television in terms of outshopping TV production to a lot of small companies, whereas previously it had been, you know, the BBC made all the BBC stuff and the ITV regional companies all contributed stuff to the ITV network. And what Thatcher did, and I'm not a Thatcherite or in any sense a fan of what she did and her politics but to give credit where it is due she kind of she she allowed a kind of new industry to spring up in terms of small production houses you know that's 
that's why carnival films existed that's that's you know the 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 people the people making bugs would not have been a, a, a small production house like that if bugs were produced even probably 10 years earlier i think and one of the thing one of the things about that i think is that the the kind of the way in which the unions defined the rules about things like credit i'm not saying that there was still no kind of power there because obviously unison in particular have very strong rules but i do wonder whether things that might have been true in the 1970s simply weren't the case in the 1990s and if they were able to credit the writer for some reason they didn't need to bother to make up a name they just didn't credit the writer it, it would it would almost certainly be a writer's guild, guild rule or whatever the writer's guild is called over there yeah no i i agree i think there would have been that that's where the rule would have come from when we're talking about those episodes of doctor who where that was an issue but my my guess is without knowing any of the details or the ins and outs of it that by the late 1990s the kind of power of those unions would have been weaker than it was and that's not to say they wouldn't have still had some power but they had such extraordinary power you know you have all of those stories in terms of doctor who production of the rehearsals well even the production just being shut down at 10 o'clock by the technicians just <laughs> turn, you know turning the lights out and i don't think that 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 would that would have been the case in the 1990s and i wonder whether that would have been the case for the what i don't know what are i should know this actually I, I i can't remember the name of it there is there is a an equivalent to the writers guild but i yeah i don't know whether they would have been able or even to, or even to be honest with with uh shows like this have been as bothered about saying there has to be some name on the credits i'm willing to bet that there is a specific rule then that can be found that allows the removal of a writer's name that would be my that would be my guess because i i i, I know, don't the know you I mean, have the rules you... the reason you have the rules in place is to prevent the production house right and because ours ours were never tied up like with a government monopoly so you know we have a we don't we never had that we're shutting down at 10 o'clock kind of let's say nonsense but uh, <laughs> events ha happening in an american television production and so you know the 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 rules are in place to protect the guild members against the production companies from doing things like removing their names so that they don't get the credit or that you know even if they get paid they don't get yeah. the recognition that they deserve and so but I, i'm not entirely sure why there is something that says you don't it to put a name on it that you still have to have a name on there and maybe that's just because you have to have a name on there to get paid i really don't know and and you know that may be the well, difference but I, I i can't imagine that anybody in the bugs production crew said let's just not put the writer on this one it's got to have something to do with a writer it's got to going you know i don't want my name on that it's terrible well, I, well no i think <laughs> I, I'm, I, I well i yeah i don't i don't know about that i don't know about that i'm sure that the concern would have been over whether people had been paid, but the the actual kind of whether the the kind of 
almost kind of jobs worth aspect of saying, oh, it has to be done in this way, I would question. And just to be clear, it's not about there being a government monopoly. It's to do with union closed shops. And again, that's not a television sector specific thing, but that changed in the 1980s. And so you would not have been able to have a closed shop in the 1990s. And to take one example, it's not quite contemporary. And I mean, this is the question. If if there was a rule like that, and you may, you may well be right, but the thing is, it may not be the rule now. You have to look at what things were like 26 years ago. So to take one example from just five years after Series 3 of Bugs, uh, a show called Spooks over here, which became MI5 in the States, didn't have any credits at all. For creative or aesthetic reasons, they decided to do without them. And there is no way you could have imagined that happening. Again, you know, thinking about that 15 years earlier or whatever, there is no way that that would have happened. And even at the time, that was controversial and there were nothing else has, nothing else has followed that. I think there was such a big pushback on it. But I just cite Do you it know as if it aired with credits in the US? I don't know whether it aired with credits in the US. I do know that when it got its repeat on BBC Three, it aired with credits over there, but it didn't on its BBC One outing. They 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 did something with putting uh, putting the credits on the on the web, and um, it it obviously be, be because for actors it may well. I, I mean, I don't know what the, I don't know whether whether there is any kind of research to to kind of evaluate the effect because so many things do have credits. Um, but you can imagine actors being seriously concerned about the fact that if no one knows the name of the person who played so-and-so and, oh, didn't they do a good job, that that could affect their future chances of getting work because other TV show directors and indeed theatre directors might be watching things and then not be aware of their name or even the kind of general audience who might come and see them in theatre doesn't don't don't know their name and that affects their chance of getting work so it's understandable but it's something that i don't think would even have been tried earlier on and so i do wonder whether there was a a, a greater looseness by 1997 around the well 97 95 because it was series one where we had the first episode with no writing credit um sure. But I, I have no idea what the story is behind it. It's, it is a bit odd, not to have a name at all. Yeah, yeah. It, Someone it's... wrote it. <laughs> well, I suppose <laughs> some people wrote it. You know, <laughs> didn't have Chat GTP back then, so it's not a script generated by an AI. It may have been. It may have been a script. I mean, the 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 equivalent thing is a script because Chat GPT is just a a way of copying multiple sources uh, to avoid <laughs> it being kind of traditional plagiarism. But it may be that this script went through so many different hands, or these scripts, yeah, the ones that were not credited, went through so many different hands um, that the, the the kind of question, the, the, the kind of, I don't know, the order of credits or the number of credits for writers would have been very difficult to work out. Although even then, I can't imagine people who wanted to be credit, credited willingly sort of saying, oh, well, I'll 
happily take my name off it as long as no one else's name goes off it because that <laughs> that doesn't really answer answer their issue there. But yeah, yeah, I mean, odd, odd. Something happens, and and you get the the series consult, which you always get even when there is a writer for Stephen Gallagher. Gallagher doesn't get credited when he's writing himself. And you get the the script editor credit for Colin Brake. But again, that you get that when there is a credited script writer. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, something slightly, because we're, we're talking about the writing because of the inconsistencies in the writing of the characters. Um, but I, I want to put a question. Is it the writing or is it the directing that made the groom so obvious? I mean, he I think was... It's both. He was so obvious in the... And I can pinpoint it to the exact moment when I knew he was the baddie. It was the moment I, when he told the bride to go over and stand over there. Yes. Before the, the credit. Before, before the, the credit. freaking credits. Yeah. And it's like, wait, it's, surely that guy's not the groom? He's... Oh, no. <laughs> okay. And... uh that obviously is sort of written in there because there is a line that says, here, go stand over there. I mean, it doesn't quite say, here, go stand over away from everybody else and near the easy access to the vehicle where we're going to grab you and take you. But, you know, close. <laughs> but, you know, he, he even looked shifty, and I assume that's the direction and not written into the script. And look shifty. But if it, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not quite willing to put all of this... Well, I, I'm not saying the director is not culpable for giving that away so blatantly but i think if you'd handed what? me the script i would have been equally suspicious the job of the director there would have been to look at the script and go oh my god right how are we going how are we going to hide this how are we going to what sleight of hand can we use to distract from the fact that he is so obviously setting her up at this point and what the director in fact did was not bother with that at all so no, and he, it, and the guy is acting off. Yeah, he is not yeah. acting like a, a groom on his wedding, and like let's get some pictures. He's he's so obviously calculating there, and that's the acting. And surely the director could have said, ah, ah, ah no, we we don't want them to know at least until Act One, not <laughs> the prologue. Uh, like, but but there's also another scene. And this is wordless, therefore I kind of assume it's the the director. And that is the scene where uh you know, they're in the they're in the bug's headquarters and the groom is, Oh, surely you can't be of your wife, just shut down the pipeline and just just do that. Surely you can't let them take your daughter and do the thing and the like isn't that more important than her life? And Ed is looking at him in the same way I am. It's like is this guy for real? Can't you tell he's behind this? And then, he, you know, and I'm going, Ed's got it. Ed's figured it out. Well, okay, that's why they were playing it over the top, so that Ed would be suspicious. And he looks at Beckett, side-eye, and, and Beckett looks back at him with a sort of like, uh-huh. I'm like, so you both know he's the baddie. But they don't, and then they they're surprised. They literally have that line. Yeah, I, I don't believe it. Mark is Curtis. And I'm thinking, I know. Oh, I bloody believe it. I've believed it since I first set eyes on the guy. But, <laughs> like, okay. But it's not, yeah. 
this I I we I I didn't get an answer to that question. Do you think this was a good episode? No, I don't think this was a good episode. Okay. I I don't think it was as bad as the previous episode. Fugitive. Fugitive. Yes, that was bad. Which is partly because Fugitive was a very different kind of episode and it kind of messed with my expectations, I guess. Whereas this was much more a kind of a more straightforward, you know, they're on a job, something happens. It's that the, there's this kind of high concept thing, which I'll come back to of the water grid. And then, you know, there's a, there's a people being kidnapped and put in peril and bombs and all the rest of it. In that sense, it's a much more kind of straightforward spooks, um, straightforward bugs episode. But it was below the standard uh, still of the kind of first half of this season. And I, I don't, I, I think part of it is, I mean, I, I think I do have a lot of kind of criticisms of the writing. A lot of that is to do with, I think, the character development that's going on. So I've mentioned yeah. Alex, I've mentioned Channing. Yeah. We've still got, we've we've basically got another episode where Roz is base is she's put out of action for half of the episode, and that's an odd choice after last week when we had her kind of breaking down and losing a lot of her agency, and those things I think I you know I'm I'm struggling with no writer to blame. Those are things that I think I would lay at the door of the script editor Colin Brake because he is he is the one who's kind of supposed to be overseeing those through running elements of the show but I also think there are aspects of the episode that are just within the episode itself to do with the kind of the plot that are pretty weak pretty feeble uh, I, I just I, I take a brief detour here I figured it out I figured it out Channing has been behind all this, and his goal has been to break down Roz's agency and independence the whole time. And he thought he had achieved it with last week's episode, which he was obviously ultimately behind at pulling the strings somewhere. And this week it broke, and so he's disappointed. So now he's going to have to try again. Yeah, that's what it is. It's it's all about it's all about crushing Roz. That's his ultimate goal. She is his perfect asset. And he he wants well, her. There is there is there is a, there is an overt theme in this episode that is, you know, it's not so badly written that I'm not clear that that is intentional. That he is saying, you know, you you should give and and again, it's not new. There is that has been running. So you should you should give up your job. You know that it, it, it's it's dangerous. It's not good for you, and we are increasingly starting to see elements of him being quite controlling and mm -hmm. it is that kind of gaslighting behavior where it's you know it's it it's really toxic and the and and it is even more kind of shocking when you see someone like rods being affected by that and i that that's not unrealistic but I don't know to I don't know to what extent everything in this episode is intended 
to to kind of push in that direction. Like, why well, is Channing paying for that? What paying for that for her to be in a private hospital? That's just that the the, the needs there needs to be more clarity around why Roz isn't has... it because they're rich? Isn't that justification enough? But Roz is rich, so why isn't Roz paying for that? Well, the... admittedly, the odd. Thank you for that. Like she couldn't do it herself. That that was. I think she just wouldn't so, have thought of it. I think well, Roz would have just I, gone to the know. NHS I... hospital and and been done with it. But Channing is an entitled rich uh, you know, Tory, I assume, and he. Uh, but that well, no, that said to do a private hospital. Money's there are no ways object. of doing that that would be that would be much more um, kind of like genuine and actually supportive in the sense that he you know he might say i i know this doctor who will give you the best care or i you know i have i have friends who work at this hospital it's under it's in great demand but they can get you in you know things that because because they're just paying for her when she could afford to do it for herself she's an asset he's protecting Okay, so but why let, does let me, what, let, but that's not the question. The question is why does she agree to that? And like I say, I no, think I the intention is probably around him controlling her. So yes. it's almost like he he's insisting he should pay for it. But but we need to we do need to see that. We need to know what the reason is why that is the arrangement they've come to. And I do think it, it you know I I kind of. I'll admit, I just kind of blasted past that, and, and I noted the line and didn't really give it any thought, but I'll, now that you've brought it to the topic. First off, it's completely and utterly irrelevant in, in if you were watching the episode. If he had removed that line, then we would have just thought Roz was in a, whatever hospital was the closest one, and she was getting whatever the treatment is that the person would get for getting shot, who's a government official, right? So it... it the only thing purpose it serves is to demonstrate that Channing is managing Roz, yeah, in a way. But I, I, I want to read my first line of my notes, not not my as I watch notes, but my first line of my. Here's what I want to talk about, and then it's just, just one sentence, not even a sentence. Parallel, Roz slash Bride are in it for love. Channing and the groom sees them as a resource. There's the parallel here. This is a story about women in love and men using them. I don't think that's an accident. That is, I think these two pieces are yeah, aren't on purpose. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. I missed that completely. And actually that that uh, you know, I've been down on the writing, but actually when you're when <laughs> oh, you're brilliant. talking about when you're talking about the Channing arc, then yeah, having this story at this point to give you that parallel is pretty upside. I think, I mean, I don't know. We'll have to see where it goes in in you know the last three episodes. But that that kind of gives this story a relevance that goes beyond the kind of random mess that I thought it was. <laughs> All right. But on on the other hand, how on earth could Curtis? Have ever thought his plan was going to go undetected? I, 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 I so we, yeah. Curtis's plan is something. When I, you know, when I talk about problems with the episode and the plot, Curtis's plan is the big problem in it. In fact, Curtis's 
it's, it's Curtis's motivation and the whole kind of jeopardy aspect for Curtis. I guess. Yeah. I mean, there there are so many linked elements to this, but I don't. I I so right. Let's just stick to your point for now. I'll come on to the other things. Curtis's Curtis's plan is desperate, right? He's it's at the he's last doing minute. So, he well, but he's doing something that is so kind of extreme that you would only do something like that if you had exhausted every other option, and then. When it goes wrong, he's he's like it, it. It sort of turns into this this sort of ransom operation, and it's so like it is just desperate. It's like someone who is has run out of alternatives, run out of other chances. But it's not clear to me why someone who owns a business like his wouldn't have other opportunities to diversify or whatever. Why he would put himself in a position where he was so on the wrong side of the law, especially after concocting this plan where he was deliberately trying to deflect any possibility of him being identified as as to blame for this. I mean, how long did he have to do that? How long did he have to not go into the company so people wouldn't know who he was before he got around to this plan? Yeah, it's it's... And, and yeah. they're gonna—they're just about to strange. activate the grid. They're just about to activate the grid. He surely must know that there is no way that no matter what they do, they are not going to stop activation of the grid. And couldn't he have done this a day before the wedding? I mean, he'd already gotten all the information and everything for it, and he didn't have to legally marry somebody under an assumed name, which I presume is an illegal wedding. I don't know. I, I mean, it just. They're just all sorts of things that just don't make any sense of how this well this plan is stacked up and and it's like the bad guys they've identified us so in the next ransom video we don't bother to put masks on it may be that curtis is his assumed name he may have married her on his real name but then i guess you know they said curtis about... was the family name remember he was the third last of the generations of owners of curtis oh, drilling okay so curtis is his name i don't know if Dave or Dan or whatever his name was, but yeah, he, he <laughs> just doesn't make any sense. And yes, he could have I mean, he, just on a drilled oil, uh, drilled water well somewhere else. Well, that I mean, that was my point about diversifying. But actually, the whole concept of the water grid. So I'm so I, I do I I I need I'm just I'm desperate to get into the water grid. So can we get into the water okay. grid? The, the 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 kind of lead in here is that. You still would, you you still would actually want to get your water as close to where it is needed as possible. So it's not like this is in any sense this this is a this is a last resort thing, right? Because and th and this is this this is where the problem is, a water grid, a water grid. Mm -hmm. I mean, so if there was any, I've heard this proposed for the United States. I'm just gonna well go out and say, it, okay, it's not yeah, it's not something that. I, this is the first time I've ever heard it in, in any pop culture thing. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I know what a water grid is. When they said that, I'm like, I, I have heard of those proposals. And obviously that's a much, much bigger job to do a water grid for the United States than it would be for, for the UK. I mean, it, that was actually kind of but believable. There is, there is more logic to it in the UK, especially when you're actually seeing water, according to that map, water being piped 
to Northern Ireland. But the the thing is with the with the with the US, you have that kind of diversity. I mean, due to size, in the sense that you could have severe drought in one area and that flooding supply water, yeah, would 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 make some sort of sense. Whereas when you have a drought in the UK, you tend to have a drought everywhere. I mean, it's not necessarily the case. It, we did have a situation last year where in Pembrokeshire we were short of water because Lissifran was running low and other parts of Wales didn't have that same water shortage. And so there would have there would have been a kind of purpose to this. So it, I'm, not, I'm not kind of poo-pooing the idea. Of course, people must have thought about having a grid we've used we have grids for for gas we have grids for electricity obviously and the kind of resilience that that provides for what is you know an absolutely fundamental utility it makes sense and yeah. it has it has the kind of supply of water has actually been something you know in popular culture you can point at things like Chinatown or Contra Solace where it is a kind of plot driver so that's not crazy and for a show like bugs and particularly when you think about how it started out there could be some kind of exploration in the kind of doom watch sense of what would what would this kind of thing actually mean how will it destroy the world <laughs> well yeah that's... because what what about the energy involved in moving all of that water around what about uh, sustaining what, the water quality. I'm, I'm struggling. Wasn't a bit it all to find coming from the of... north to the south? Wasn't that the implication? That in was story that the south that wasn't... was needed. The water in the north was really kind of had too much. Because I mean, it's all downhill, right? It's at the top to the bottom. That wasn't that wasn't entirely clear to me. But I'm not, I, I'm not sure I've come up with an idea that's as sexy as the plastic eaters or whatever. But it is, it is like they're that kind of bland statement there are no negative ecological impacts to it and this does seem to me to have just swept away the whole kind of the the possibly interesting dimensions of of what this idea might involve to the point where you just think well why why use a concept like this if you're not actually going to use the concept yeah well that that is what bugs has become well, yes, they have, they have, um, I guess they feel like they, they must have a board somewhere in the scriptwriter's office that's like, here's some interesting ideas maybe we should do. And they just, they pick one off there and go, National Water Grid, okay, got it. I got a script for you, boss. We'll blow it up. <laughs> like, okay, go. It kind of hurts. I mean, you know, not, not, I not meaning to harp on the, the lack of sci-fi angle of it because I'm I'm not I'm over that I'm like okay it just isn't that now we're up to a new level for me which is their security for a wedding I don't care if it's Jan's goddaughter or not there's security for a wedding is there nobody better suited for doing security in a wedding okay maybe you bring in team bugs to do a sweep for bugs and bombs or something but I think you probably have a bugs and bomb squad somewhere too and an anti-kidnapping squad, and and probably people that do kidnapping, tracing, and 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 work, and just it's just all. And if we're supposed to assume that, because it's got nothing to do with weapons, it's got nothing to do with technology. They're they're really out on a limb on this one. And if it's because Jan wanted them to do it because it's her goddaughter, then that is a gross abuse of government resources. 
and and a poor use of government resources at that because it's the wrong people to do the job. And uh, yeah, you see, the thing that bugs me, if you if you'll excuse the phrase, no is 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 much simpler than that, which is that these these characters turned up to wedding, right, where they're doing security, and then after the bride gets kidnapped, they have to resort to looking at public CCTV cameras to identify the kidnappers. And the most kind of basic of technology, even in 1997, you would have thought would be, if you if you are worried that something is going to happen here, you just film everyone. Literally just film everyone. And for goodness sake, it's a wedding. It's not even as if you need a pretext, not like you need a hidden spy camera. You could just get a whacking great camcorder out because people film weddings just make sure you shoot everyone's face so you know who is there in fact hook, why not hook one of Roz's clever things Amazing up because yeah. they well they, well they clearly have access to kind of 2020s level facial recognition software so so why not hook it up to that so you get early warning that uh oh some you know ne'er-do-well has turned up let's uh Let's quickly stop him from doing whatever he's going to do before they can do anything bad. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. Let's see. I don't know that I really have. Oh, I do have something. I was like, I put together a new section in my notes called the Bureau of Weapons Technology Check, in which I have two sections: technology and weapons, and checking. And as far as I can see from tech, the villains. Nothing extraordinary. We could come back to that bomb in a minute. Uh, and the BWT doesn't really have anything particularly special either. They're they're mostly just cameras and and the trackers they always they have use. cameras. That's my that's my complaint. Well, they did have a camera. They did have a ca- camera. Well, they were yes, using a camera to help Roz to do the remote control. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, if that was that they was weren't using device. it when it could have been helpful. Well, yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't helpful then, but it would have been helpful earlier. More helpful. It would have would have been a much more of a problem solver earlier in the uh, the equation. Yeah, and then weapons. The villains had nothing particularly high tech. They did have an incredible machine gun, though, um, that can the bullets can somehow miss human bodies. So, for example, uh, when uh, Curtis is firing the machine gun at Roz, or not Roz, at uh, Beckett and Alex as they're kind of running through the the, the intake facility. There is a scene where Beckett's kind of coming up over this, it's not exactly a bridge, but it's kind of a raised walkway and it's got metal rails. And Curtis fires a machine gun burst, panning from, I believe, left to right, as he does, firing the whole time. And yet somehow the bullets only manage to hit the railing on the left of Beckett and the railing on the right of Beckett and do not cut him in two as they sweep across from one to the other. That is that is A team level firing of machine guns. Like that 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 is on level of when an in A team a helicopter crashes into a mountain and blows up and everyone walks out alive. It's bad. It was it was particularly poorly staged and it was another note in my file that the director wasn't very good in 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 this episode. And then the bomb. We'll come back to the bomb. He's got a remote control. The remote control has a timer on it. 
the bomb appears to have a timer on it, and yet somehow, by removing a chip from the remote control, stops the timer on the bomb? Doesn't that put the, mean that the timer is actually in the remote control and it's not sending the detonation signal until it runs down? Doesn't make any sense. No, yeah, I think that's exactly what it means. It just it they they put a a kind of remote display for the timer on the bomb. On the bomb. That anyone anyone near the near the bomb has a little handy readout that they can look at because obviously you know you never know when people might be near a bomb that's going to blow up in two minutes. And, and you they, need to I'm be sure warned them. like that convenience so they can run away. Exactly. I'm thinking just popping the battery compartment, taking the batteries out would have been equally as effective but okay mm -hmm. oh oh there was one scene i kind of liked there was one scene i kind of liked and that's when uh channing and in ross were in the hospital and beckett comes in and channing says you know uh the hospital staff has said only one visit at a time i know get out <laughs> it's like yay beckett <laughs> finally <laughs> oh it's fine dude and then finally kicks him out it's like yeah i just want you to know that you could file for workers compensation oh <laughs> yeah that turned that turned pathetic but, but the part where off. he kicked channing out was yeah I'll, I'll 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 agree that was good i i i was i've got a note that there is one scene in this episode that i really loved but it turns out it's a different scene from the one that you really loved which is where ed and alex are sitting in the car Oh, I and, think I know where this is going. Okay, and, yeah, you you have you have the line of you have the flirty line of of be, because Alex has taken Ed's magazine and and you know yeah. I couldn't take an empty envelope. Oh, I was hoping to read that while we wait. And Alex says, "Well, we'll just have to think of something else to do." And then in the next scene, you have the gag of seeing her sewing. Now that wasn't my favorite bit. Thought that was. You know that was kind kind of predictable, but okay. But it's it's then when she says, "Now, don't you make any comment about me making a good wife for someone because I can sew." And I had a little groan at that because I thought that's terrible. But Ed's response is fantastic when he says, "Nothing could have been further from my mind." Give it here. That's terrible. I was yeah. like, yeah, making a pig's ear of it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I you know I I will say when when Ed said that line is I was planning to read that in the car and and Alex says well, we'll have to think of something else to do. I heard and I'm going to get the number of hours wrong and that's a, a crime on my part. I have to say because I used to have it memorized 100% line for line. But what popped into my head was Roger Moore's voice saying how do you kill five hours in Rio if you don't samba? And it's just like, <laughs> that is so tacky, awful bond line. Yes. <laughs> it is exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. And Ed, of course, is like, whoa. And then it goes nowhere from that. We don't even know what she then next did in that moment. She got her sewing out. I guess. I guess. I think she I didn't think have that, any for Ed, that, though. Yeah. That is the kind of gag, but it, but yeah, but but it's 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 Ed's reaction then that really really yeah. tops it for me. I love that. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and I, you know, props in the acting department. Jesse Bertzolk a little tear in his eye when he was telling Ross to go to America. One, just a little one. 
did that seem did that seem right? I mean, given how wrong this whole situation seems, did that seem right for him to finally come to the conclusion to tell her to go do, go to America? Yeah, well, I I kind of I kind of bought it on both. I I thought that was okay. I bought it on both the kind of original reading of the scene, which was a trick, I think, which was that he'd he'd kind of thought about it deeply. He'd realised that they were never going to be together and she should do what was best for her. I, I kind of bought that, but then I bought even more. It was a sneaky bit of reverse psychology because that was, that was a very Beckett thing to do. So the manipulative spy master Beckett that we've never seen before pops up, <laughs> rears his head for the first time ever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I do. I was surprised, frankly. Um, I thought maybe he was going to confess his love for her or he was trying to steal up the courage to say something. But when he did say go, I, I felt he missed the opportunity to say, I don't know, like, look, Roz, I care about you a lot. We all care about you a lot and we are going to miss you and no one can replace you, but you should go. I, I, I felt that as well. But then again, I think that that may be kind of you you could you could argue that if if he was if he had been being genuine at that point, he should have said something like that. But equally, you could say, yeah, but he's this kind of rather buttoned up, repressed character, and that may be why he didn't. But it also makes it more of more of an effective piece of psychology if if he is trying to sort of say, it's this is all about the logic. And not about the 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 kind of making her feel good about being able to go because people would understand her going even though they really even though she really matters to them. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Did did does Roz seem like the person who needs passion, excitement, and uncertainty? Is that is that our <laughs> read from Roz in the past up till this point? And and so that makes sense. I I think it I think it's badly expressed. I I think Roz is a bit of an excitement junkie, which is why she does like doing the job she's doing. It's why she even agrees to work for the Bureau of Weapons Technology. But I, the the kind of idea that it's about passion is just the wrong word because you know you can be passionate about creating technology without mm. it or cricket, you know. Putting putting you personally into situations where you're getting shot at or blown up. Is there a, a, a an odd possible parallel there also that we have now been uh, we've now been exposed through in the last few episodes to learn that Roz is passionate about cricket. Okay, we didn't know that in the first two years, but now we know that she's passionate about cricket. And Channing is taking her to America, where you get baseball. Which is not cricket. It's not nearly as good as cricket. I will just say this right now. Baseball kind of sucks. It's a lot better than American football, but it, you know, it, it certainly lacks the strategy and uh, uh, and nuance that cricket does. And so it's sort of like you can't get your passion, but you're going to get a cheap substitute. Kind of parallel again. Kind of. So she's staying for the cricket. I mean, that, well, that's, that's, that's the secret reason that she just hasn't hasn't explained okay well yeah it just it, it does kind of it that line did kind of bother me 
uh, when he came along and he says, well, you know, they don't have any cricket in the United States, but I got all this baseball stuff. And I'm like, that's not the way it works with sports fans. You know, I'm not a big sports fan. I do like cricket, but I not a big sports ball fan, but you just don't, you just don't say to somebody, well, you don't get it anymore. So now you here, pick up this other sport. It doesn't work that way. And it's, again, it's like a complete misread of a character. It's like, it's a mechanical process. I'm substituting, I'm substituting one thing for another for you, Roz, to, you know, to kind of, and he just doesn't realize that that's not what she wants. I don't know. It, it <clears throat> fits with that theme that Channing is a jerk. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, it, that's yes, it would. I just, I'm not sure I see it in this episode. But I'm not even sure I noticed cricket being mentioned in this entire episode. So, well, heck, he, he gave her a big bag full of baseball stuff at the beginning when he showed up from America. There was the little uh, baseball yeah. bat and it was a hat and all that stuff. He says, there's not much cricket in America. So yes, you're going to have to get point. used to baseball. And I bought a season tickets to the Dodgers. Yes. And of course it was mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No fair point. It's like, this is, this is what he's doing to your life. He's substituting something you're not passionate about for something similar, but not the same. Not the same. Do you have anything else uh, on this particular? Oh, well, yeah, I, well, no, I've got one more thing. But before that, I've just spotted that I should have mentioned something in your weapons and technology roundup. So it covers both weapons <laughs> and technology, which is the, the infrared sensors to stop you getting weapons into the wedding. How does that work? <laughs> I, I missed that line because uh, weapons everybody knows that uh, after you've been shooting a gun it's hot and so therefore <laughs> you, you i don't know i don't know that 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 one that one really puzzled me no, the, the, the one i wanted to mention was barbara i was puzzled by what the intention was here okay is, fair enough is there some kind of state secret around her name, or does she just not like it? I, I think it has been mentioned that Jan is a code name. Okay. So I guess you so don't walk in and say, real name good is morning, secret. Admiral Messervy, to M. <laughs> but I, I thought the odd I, part about that was, you know, Beckett overhears I, I, it. But Messervy. Which M is Messervy? Isn't it Sir Admiral Miles Messervy? Is that from Fleming? Yeah. Right, I did. I didn't. I didn't know. If, I didn't know we knew M's name in in the books. I I always assumed that M in Fleming came from because because the head of MI six was called C, and that was because it was established by Manchil Cummings, and I guessed that it was okay. He took the M instead, but this whole thing of Jan having a code name that no one knew, but then her using her work colleagues to protect personal friends <laughs> yeah, that's or, not... yeah. that 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 very much reminded me of the world is not enough where again um it, oh god what's what's it what's sophie marceau's character is king 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 isn't yeah, it yeah i can't um i think it's king that, she, that that yeah her father is a friend of M, and so she she feels protective of her for that reason but she refers to M as M, like you, you know, you <laughs> yeah, like she knows yeah. your friend by their work code name as if she never had any life before, which is really kind of strange. But then again, short for Emma, if 
Well, yes. I mean, you start you start getting into the, into these kind of ways of sort of rationalizing it that don't really make much sense, and you think this whole thing is very strange. But actually, someone like Le Carre is extremely good on credibility in his stuff, and in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, there is a character who is only known throughout the entire novel as Control. And it appears that no one know no one who he works with at least knows his real name, which, even for the people he works with, not knowing his name seems pretty strange because you don't just turn up at work one day as head of the intelligence service. You tend to have turned up as I guess you know a a junior spy. I guess <laughs> I mean I don't know how it works. You you start off making the tea and then yeah whatever. Work your way up to a double O. At at some point, people are going to know your name, right? Because you're you're going to say, "My name is Bond, James Bond," right? So yeah, the whole the I, I'm I'm a bit befuddled by the whole concept of having a kind of code name like that. But more than that, it was just the way that Barbara reacted quite angrily and emotionally to her name being used. It was like, "Don't call me that," in the way that people. Do if you call them a nickname that they dislike or like sticky. You know, yeah. It's like, don't call me that. It's insulting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't know if you meant to imply we didn't know it was a code name. We did know that was a code name from an earlier episode. <laughs> Somebody did say to them, and you don't even know what Jan's real name is, do you? Something of that nature. But that but that um, does that doesn't imply that Jan's real name is a secret. No, true. We accept that they don't know it, so it's, yes, but yeah, but you know, the official of, secret. There are lots of things I, I, I don't know that I just haven't bothered to find out. Like, if you know, if there's someone called Brian at work, I might say, and I don't even know what Brian's surname is. But it's not like that's because Brian is keeping it a special secret. secret. It's yeah, just because fair enough. Everyone refers to him as Brian, and I haven't bothered to ask him what his surname is. What I thought was interesting was so Beckett hears it. And then he calls her Barbara, and she, as you say, bristles and says, don't ever call me that, and don't ever tell anyone that. And then later in the episode, Roz calls her Barbara, and her response is, I'm so disappointed in Beckett. I see no evidence that Beckett told her. Well, it's true, because we don't see Beckett telling her. Well, they had no time together either. They were only in the hospital together for a little bit, and, and hauling her along, you know, when he tried to save her and carried her out after she was shot it's not like they had an opportunity to sit down at any point during the course of this episode and go oh got some dirt for you jan's real name is barbara it just yeah. it just as in beggars belief oh my god you've but been shot by by the way i found out what jan's way, real name is barbara. yeah but here's what does make far more sense roz could easily figure out what barbara's name is yeah but we don't go there we just we just automatically dump it on Beckett, I'm disappointed in Beckett. Roz, if she'd done it, she should have said, no, <laughs> that's not how I found out, or something, but it's just odd. I presume we're going to come back to this. I presume we are going to get an answer to what the meaning is. It just seems to me strange that it should be, because it's so unimportant for it to be a, a, an ambiguity over whether she dislikes the name or it actually has some security implication. Yeah, it would have been much better if somebody had gone, wait, you're Barbara? 
The Barbara? Oh, I should have guessed. But now they didn't do that. That it? That's it. I'm done. Okay. Um, in that case, what we have is to say that next time it's Buried Treasure, Episode 8. Which, you know, hopefully the treasure is uh, high-tech. Oh, yeah, the, the thing was high-tech. The water intake was really high-tech, totally automated, no people. So we were told it was so there was some high-tech in this episode, so that's okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash Fusion Patrol or patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation and find other content at fusionpatrol.com. And we're back on social media, where you can also follow us on Mastodon and the Fediverse. Our address is at podcast at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we will be looking at two more episodes of Neo Ultra Q, starting with episode 7, The Iron Shell, and moving on to episode 8, Memories Are Crossing the Planet. Come join the conversation.